Pharmaceutical Technology presents the Drug Solutions Podcast, where the editors will chat with industry experts from across the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical supply chain. Join us as experts share insights into your biggest questions, from the technologies to strategies to regulations related to the development and manufacture of drug products. This is the Drug Solutions Podcast. everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. I'm Jill Murphy, Editor of Pharmaceutical Technology, and this week we'll be discussing point of care. This conversation includes topics such as patient manufacturing, regulatory pathway entry, and the challenges and solutions with using new innovative technologies. In this episode, I speak with Adam Fisher, Director of Science Staff and Immediate Office and Office of Pharmaceutical Quality at the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research and the FDA. This episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast is sponsored by Baxter Biopharma Solutions. With over 90 years of experience, Biopharma Solutions, a business unit of Baxter, partners with pharmaceutical companies to support their commercialization objectives by providing scientific expertise, sterile contract manufacturing solutions, and customized support services needed to meet the unique challenges that parenteral products face. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview. And thank you so much for joining us. It's really such an honor to have someone on from the FDA and the Center for Drug Evaluation Research. I'm really excited for this conversation. Yes, me too. I've been looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Of course. I wanted to just go right in and ask if you could really describe what is intended by the term near patient manufacturing. So this is an interesting question because I think it shows how we use different terminology to talk about the same thing. So you might hear someone describe it as near patient manufacturing or point of care manufacturing, maybe local or localized bedside manufacturing, and they they all are different variations of the same thing. And then even broader than that, you have terminology related to distributed manufacturing or decentralized manufacturing, you know, networked, on-demand, modular, pods, like all of these things are terms that exist in this space. And I really think this is an area where regulators can lead. We can establish terminology to be used in the regulatory space. And to the extent possible, we can align with other regulators. And to to answer your actual question though, near patient is a term that I believe is self-evident, but also highly subjective, right? It means probably slightly different things. near, I think, being the crux of it, right? What does near mean? So to some near patient can mean at a bedside or maybe in the hospital or maybe in that unit of the hospital, maybe in the hospital's campus, maybe in the same town as the hospital and so on, right? And I think the most important thing is to consider the manufacturing technology primarily and not simply the location, right? Because that's that's what really matters. And I think in the U.S., we have used point of care manufacturing as the term. And I wanna point out that, that this is the future, but it's also the past. So right now there are some products, uh, cell and, and tissue therapies may be a good example of this, regulated by the Center of Biologics in FDA, and then also some radiopharmaceuticals that are regulated 
in our Center for Drugs. And I think even if you look back further than that, you know, further, further back than the present, if you look at the entire human history of drug making, only a small fraction of it has occurred with this uh, large scale global fixed location industrial manufacturing that's happened since the industrial revolution, right? If you look back, uh, and it's a fun debate to have about when human medicine began, but I'll just throw out that maybe it's 3000 BC. You know, this is when I've heard they first started using the milk of poppy. And so if you consider 3000 BC until now, that they were making relatively small batches of drugs to treat people close by, you know, it's really only been a sliver of time that we've been using this large scale fixed location manufacturing. So I think in general, distributed manufacturing is the bigger paradigm where you shift from traditional drug product manufacturing uh, to one that enables the same manufacturing process to occur in multiple different locations, right? And, and one of those locations may be near the patient. And really, I think if you look at the canonical vision for this, it looks something like a self-contained manufacturing system that operates and manufactures drugs on a small scale with minimal utility requirement and minimal support required from the operator. And you can imagine a technology where all the processes of traditional manufacturing are included. So you have testing, you know, packaging, labeling, all of that may be contained within a unit. And as these technologies become more sophisticated, there's always the potential that they could be used to manufacture pharmaceuticals at the patient's bedside. And so I share this as an example, but I do want to acknowledge that there's just a tremendous technology diversity in this space. That was very well said. And I kind of wanted to go back to what you said previously about the future and the past coming together. I know that there's been an increasing number of smaller, more adaptable, you could say flexible modular manufacturing units that are happening. Is near patient manufacturing leaning on more things like 3D printing or other more futuristic types of technologies? That's a great question. And I think I'm fortunate to have multiple streams of information here. So one, and perhaps the most important one, is CEDAR's Emerging Technology Program, okay? And this is a program that we have to provide direct support to developers of advanced manufacturing technologies before they submit regulatory applications to the agency. And so through that, we have the opportunity to engage with people who are still developing these technologies, sometimes even before a drug target has been identified. And so we get a lot of information from that program I would say the next stream of information that we have that's been incredibly helpful was from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, or, or NASM. So CEDAR funded a series of workshops that they held, and ultimately this resulted in a report about innovations in pharmaceutical manufacturing on the horizons. And it looked at technical challenges, regulatory issues, and made some recommendations. And as part of that, NASA told us that we're likely to see innovations in integrated, flexible, distributed manufacturing technologies, maybe self-contained units, end-to-end um, -end continuous manufacturing, where you have a process that goes from raw materials through to finished drug product, and then also the use of artificial intelligence in drug manufacturing. 
And related to this, you have modular approaches to drug production, uh, potentially highly portable manufacturing units that you can use at the point of care like we just discussed. Uh, and then the third stream that I have is a workshop that we did in November of last year with the Product Quality Research Institute, where for three days we held discussions with stakeholders who are developing these types of technologies. And it really showed the tremendous diversity of technologies in this space. And it really vivified our thinking. And I should pause here and advocate for the fact that within CEDAR, I am the lead for our framework for regulatory advanced manufacturing evaluation. That is FRAME. So it's our FRAME initiative. And our role is to help the agency prepare to regulate the technologies that we might be seeing in the future the scope roughly five to 10 years. And the interesting thing is that the US is not the only one who are interested in uh, developing a framework for these technologies. So the UK is also developing a regulatory framework for what they call decentralized manufacturing and point of care manufacturing. And in talking with them, it seems that we're hearing about the similar types of technologies and how they might be deployed in the future. Uh, so if you ask me to, to gamble, on what we might see in this space in the future. I would say we'd probably see distributed manufacturing first, uh, and then you would probably see the self-contained distributed manufacturing units second, and then you would see the deployment of those units at the point of care third. That's, that's my best guess for how things might play out. It's a pretty impressive guess. And it was so incredible to hear all about this lined up in production, all these streams. I wanted to now touch on the types of companies and like regulatory pathways. Could you outline these types of companies or the approaches they're taking to really entering the regulatory pathways? Yes, yeah, so for confidentiality reasons, I just can't talk about specific companies or, or technologies, but I'm happy to speak generally about the topic here. Um, and I will say that many of the companies that are developing these types of technologies responded to our discussion paper on um, distributed manufacturing, which we released last year, and also participated in the workshop that I just mentioned. And I think a, a Google search can give you a, a reasonable idea about people who are in this space right now. And then at the workshop, we heard from small and large molecule developers, as well as folks in academia who, who are working on these technologies. And we saw a good spread, right? It went from large scale trailer sized manufacturing units, the whole way down to very compact units that might be able to fit into a confined hospital space. And I mentioned that we have this frame initiative with a scope of five to 10 years out, and we've been running for a few years now. So we're close to seeing some of these technologies in applications, and hopefully we'll see them in action over the next few years. Uh, one thing that I really do want to emphasize though, when it comes to the type of companies in this space, is that advanced manufacturing is not just for innovator drugs. So companies have engaged with our emerging technology program on generic drug manufacturing as well. And again, it's not only small molecules, it can also be large molecule biotechnology products too. So there's opportunities, I think, in this space for everyone. Absolutely. And I wanted to also touch with you on ICHQ 13. 
have you been working with this a lot? And if so, how has it been working with this in this area? And how should others in this industry be thinking about this new type of manufacturing? ICHQ 13, in my eyes, a great success. Uh, it's now a final guidance in the US. It's a big accomplishment. It's something that's very difficult to do. So my colleague, Larry Lee, who is the deputy office director for the Office of Pharmaceutical Quality, which is where I am, he led this effort and he can attest to <laughs> how, how much it took to get it done. But there's also lots of demand for harmonization. And I think we saw that in the responses to our discussion paper. There's a big appetite for it. And I think from a regulatory perspective, it's important that we keep in mind that regulators have one applicant, but an applicant has dozens of international regulators that they have to deal with. And so in addition to releasing guidance documents that convey FDA's thinking, we strive to work with international regulators to develop quality guidelines and harmonize standards and so on. And for those who don't know, Q13 is about the regulatory considerations for developing, implementing, and operating continuous manufacturing of drug substance and drug products. And the hope is that the new guidance provides global harmonization for the regulatory approaches and encourages the broader adoption of continuous manufacturing. And as that relates to distributed manufacturing, I think there's an overlap there. I think many distributed manufacturing units will use continuous manufacturing as part of their operation. And so I think a lot of the lessons that we learn from developing this guidance internationally are absolutely applicable to distributed manufacturing. And the use of distributed manufacturing at the point of care uh, will almost require complete end-to-end -end continuous manufacturing in, in order to be able to pull it off. So again, there are absolutely lessons that apply here. And I mentioned the MHRA in the, in the UK already, um, and we've talked with them a little bit about their development of, of a framework in this area. And we're hoping there are opportunities to collaborate with other international regulators. And the MHRA has, uh, for example, this hub and spoke model that they're talking about. It's very similar to what we describe in our discussion paper as a central pharmaceutical quality system for a platform of multiple units. And so I think there's already some indication that, that, there's, that there's some alignment internationally there. I wanted to ask about something that I've been reading about a smaller scale or localized manufacturing standpoint for patients. Are you seeing this? And if so, what are the benefits of this? So that's a great question because I mentioned before how the industrial revolution really enabled this large-scale pharmaceutical manufacturing. And undoubtedly, it has provided tremendous benefits. You know, the availability of medicine, the development time of medicine, the quality control of medicine, right? It's all been improved. But I do think there are still some benefits of having a portion of the industry focused on smaller scale localized manufacturing for patients. And I think that goes back to drug shortages. And it just continues to shock me, the amount of time and money that are wasted on drug shortages. And these shortages impact patients, right? It's not just numbers on a sheet, they impact patients. In one survey, 38% of hospitals reported a medication error related to a drug shortage, right? So this is impacting patients. We did a study, and this is pre-COVID, over 85% of cardiologists, dermatologists, and rheumatologists reported that their patients had had difficulty filling a prescription due to shortage, 85%. I just believe that we can do better for these patients. And I think localized manufacturing 
allows for better response to patient demand, right? And this is especially important in an urgent case uh, when there's an emergency happening, when there's a natural disaster, something along those lines. And I think we certainly saw this during COVID where there's this non-uniform need for different products across the country and world. And so better manufacturing agility is really the key. This is what will allow us to increase the robustness of pharmaceutical manufacturing generally and assist in these future emergency type cases. And I think really uh, benefits are bigger than that too, right? Because if you're concerned about the cost perhaps of, of manufacturing or the supply chain, this localized manufacturing has benefits related to reducing the cost and, and risk of storage, for example, right? you don't need to, to store things as long or in as high volume, um, reducing the cost and risk related to shipping. You don't need to ship them over as long distances and store them then at that sort of middle location until they're distributed to patients. So all of that becomes simpler. And so the idea is that this, this all benefits patients. And I'll point out that a new technology doesn't really solve any problem, right? A new technology only really solves the problems for patients if it also delivers a quality product to that patient. If it does that and it makes it for a better supply chain, then I think that's where you really have the win. Definitely. And I wanted to continue with, I know you've been mentioning a lot about new technologies through our conversation. If we, let's say, are turning to point of care manufacturing as more as, let's say, a brick and mortar style, what does the future of these technologies really look like if you were to really think maybe in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and I, I would just say my background prior to the FDA was um, being an inventor, being an entrepreneur. And so as a former entrepreneur in the private sector, I see the pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical supply chain generally as being ripe for disruption. I think there are a number of things that are not working well now. And I even heard Mark Cuban a few weeks ago at uh, a conference on generic drugs say something similar about how he just viewed this as, as ripe for disruption. And so I think there are, there are really four key trends that I would, I would focus on here in terms of trying to predict the future. <laughs> well, one is process intensification, right? So shrinking things down, um, not taking up as large a footprint to do the things that we do now. The other one would be more localized manufacturing, which, which we've already talked about. Uh, I think that will be important to sort of streamlining the storage and shipping and whatnot. And then being more agile and responsive to changing demand. That's really, again, that, that's the key here. And then finally, it's just having less tangled supply chains overall, right? Your storage gets simpler, your logistics get simpler, your shipping gets simpler. And I think we've seen U.S. investments to address some of these logistical obstacles of manufacturing and delivering drugs to soldiers, for example, on the front lines. And you can see the benefits there of these you know, prefabricated mobile modular manufacturing units that might move frequently between different geographical locations. And one of those locations might be at the patient's bedside one day and multiple units at multiple locations making multiple products may operate under a single remote pharmaceutical quality system. And I think one thing, just a, you know, a note of caution is that 
while distributed manufacturing might change the supply chain in many ways for the better, I think we do still need to acknowledge that there will be challenges related to the supply of starting materials and inactive ingredients, right? You're still going to need those things and you're still going to need to have them sent to the site where your product is ultimately going to be manufactured. So that's my best guess about uh, what things are going to look like here in the future. But I think we've already seen some signs that this is where things are headed. I think that's a pretty good guess if you had to predict the future. But I know you just mentioned one of the challenges about the inactive ingredients. Are there any other challenges that you feel our listeners should know about that may arise with either technologies or anything else that you think is very important? I'd love to tell you that there are no challenges, right? But again, as a former entrepreneur, I know that that's not true. I think that because we are aware of regulatory challenges, this is why we began the FRAME initiative. And this is also why we released a discussion paper on distributed manufacturing. We want to make sure that we have identified all the challenges. And I'm focusing here on regulatory challenges, right? Because that's my business. And I think it's important to keep in mind that the current regulatory system evolved side by side with this brick and mortar large scale manufacturing industry, right? So as that industry changes, you also have to take a look at the regulation of that industry. And I think if you look at some of the stuff that we talked about in the discussion paper, we've laid out some of the big regulatory challenges. So for distributed manufacturing, we talked about things like the registration and listing of establishments and, and inspecting facilities, right? If you have a central pharmaceutical quality system and many manufacturing units potentially distributed throughout a, a geographical area, perhaps even the entire country, <laughs> right? You, you might have a challenge deciding what and where you inspect. And I think that's something that we're dealing with now. And then I think also a big issue was related to making manufacturing changes. Now there's a very formal process if you want to make a manufacturing change in terms of submitting it to the agency and then also doing the assessment of it. And I think for something that might move frequently, that might begin to challenge our formal uh, sort of historical way of handling manufacturing changes. And then there are also the requirements that happen if you move something to a, a new location, right? So requirements relate to, for example, bioequivalence and validation, comparability, stability, and things of that nature. And I think that that also has a potential to, to challenge us in the future. Um, and, and then just the idea of the structure of the applications for multiple units or drugs main, or the, I guess the, the units or drugs that are made in the same platform, right? How do you report that information to us? How do we keep track of it? I think in the past, it's historically been, there's a drug process and a drug product in one application, and that's the state of play. Um, so then I think when you expand out to point of care, there's some additional challenges, right? You're gonna have new host sites, you're going to have new operators. There are going to be limits on the on the use of traditional tools that you can do, such as offline testing. If you have a, a small enclosed unit at a hospital, for example, it's going to be difficult to take a, a sample of the in-process material and send it to a lab and have the lab do tests and give the data back to you. So I think there needs to be innovative thinking in terms of how we use new tools to address the risks that are currently addressed with these more traditional tools. Um, and then you also need to think about how you 
control the unit separate from the operator, right? So if you have someone operating the unit at a hospital, for example, you don't want them to have the ability to accidentally double the amount of API that's going to be in a finished drug product, right? So there needs to be very tight control over what can be made in any unit. And one thing that I do want to, I, I do just want to point out here is that we released a brand new discussion paper on the use of artificial intelligence in pharmaceutical manufacturing. And similar to our discussion paper on distributed manufacturing, we really want to hear from stakeholders who are active in this space, who are developing these technologies to help us understand what the challenges are on the regulatory side. And I'll just list a few that, that we're focusing on. So one is using cloud applications, but maintaining your data oversight, right? This is, this is potentially going to be a big challenge for people in this space. And then just the amount of data that people are going to have, right? We're entering the era, and arguably we're already there, the era of big data. And I think everyone, uh, regulators, industry, academics, are trying to figure out the best ways to navigate this world of big data. And then the idea of just validating AI for process control and for release testing, right? So a control strategy that might actually change after approval using continuous machine learning and evolving models. I think that's gonna be a, a big challenge. And I think even though I talk about these things separately, right? There's a lot of overlapping technology here too. So if you, if you consider distributed manufacturing and continuous manufacturing and artificial intelligence, I think it's a very real possibility that we will end up with technologies that use all three, right? A distributed manufacturing unit using continuous manufacturing controlled by artificial intelligence at the point of care. I really don't think that's too far-fetched. I believe we will eventually see something along those lines. One thing I do just want to emphasize here, though, is that there are real challenges, but then there are some perceived challenges. Right? People assume that these challenges exist. And I'll give you a great example. So for continuous manufacturing, which I would argue is the advanced manufacturing technology that we have the most experience with at the moment, we have often heard that one of the reasons that people are afraid to adopt it is because it will take the FDA longer to review and approve their application. And we were at the point last year where we had approved enough applications to do a self audit, to check ourselves, to see how long it took us to review and approve these applications. And what we found when we actually did the math was that it took us less time to review and approve continuous manufacturing applications than it did similar products made with traditional manufacturing approaches, right? So I think this, this surprised us and I think it surprised a lot of people in industry to know that not only is it not an, an impediment to your product development, it might even be beneficial. And I think a lot of those benefits relate to engaging with that emerging technology program that I'd mentioned here earlier. I think a lot of value comes from that early interaction. Adam, I know we touched on a lot of great things in our conversation today, but was there any last parting thoughts that you wanted to share or a take-home message from everything that we discussed? So one thing that I've tried to emphasize recently, and I put it like this, help us be right, All right? One of the things that I am trying to do 
is to use entrepreneurial thinking related to regulation. And I think very simply put, that is taking calculated risks to identify a better future. Okay, and that requires being proactive. And the agency is often criticized that we're not proactive, right? We respond after things go bad. We take drastic action when it's absolutely necessary. But I think this frame initiative is an example of we are, where we are trying to be extremely proactive. We are dedicating substantial amount of resources to prepare for these new technologies. We're trying to establish a regulatory freedom to operate that's not gonna impede our ability to regulate these new things in the future. And so when I say help us be right, what I mean is we're not actually developing the technologies though. We, we heard from the National Academies that they're coming. We've heard from manufacturers who are developing them that they're coming, but let's make sure they get here, right? And let's not only make sure they get here, let's make sure they benefit patients. Let's make sure they have the same or better product quality as what's out there now and that they work to improve the supply chain. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. And really, I think I speak for all of my colleagues here, and in particular, the ones who are working with me on this frame initiative. That's why we do what we do. We really want to make a difference for patients. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. to our editors and experts for sharing their insights. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Drug Solutions Podcast with the Pharmaceutical Technology Editors. If you want to stay in touch with the Pharmaceutical Technology team, subscribe to this podcast as well as to our e-newsletters. When you sign up for our newsletters, you will be updated about future episodes of Drug Solutions, receive our magazines, learn about upcoming webinars and hear about episodes of Drug Digest. Thanks to everyone for joining us for this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. <laughs>